Well, you know, I'd like to give Brandon a bad time, but I just want to give a little bit of a, an explanation. The reason he didn't uh, stay for the work day is because he had a uh, special youth event, and he was uh, getting his tan plus ministering to kids. And one of the praise uh, notes about that is Becky and Brandon have been doing a, a ministry in a local middle school, and they call it JYC. I'm not sure exactly what that stands for, neither does he, but anyway, it's, uh, it's an opportunity to have a Bible uh, club on campus, a middle school campus, and one of the, uh, the students that was at the club this last uh, Monday uh, came to our youth event and brought a friend, and so uh, reaching out into the community as well as inviting our own people to reach out as well, so uh, I can't give him a bad time this morning about not staying for the workday, but next time I might, so, but uh, they had a great ministry uh, yesterday. Well, this morning we have opportunity to uh, look at God's Word again, and we've had opportunity to pray, but this morning I want to talk about what happened. And as we think about it, if you've been with us at all, or if you're familiar with the first couple chapters in the book of Genesis, everything starts out awesome. We have an awesome God, we sang about Him this morning, Uh, there's nothing that can stand against Him, and as we think about that, we're thinking, man, this is going to be an awesome experience of just knowing and following after God, and then all of a sudden we look around us and say, well, what happened? As, uh, as we all know, there's some things that probably went wrong because not everything in this world is right. And as we think about that, as, we, as, as it all began, uh, just thinking the things that were involved in that first chapter, uh, after he created, he said it was good, very good. There was no disorder, no chaos, no conflict, no struggle, no pain, no discord, no ter- deterioration, and no death. But people's experience went from the ultimate pleasure of knowing all of God's goodness and experiencing that, and then it began to experience pain. It began with Eden, and Eden is known for its place of being a place of delight, and then this earth became a place in which it was known for death and despair. What happened? We send out some notes to our life group leaders just to kind of prepare them for the week to come. Uh, Not a whole lot of detail, but some things that's going to happen on Sunday and some things related to their life group notes, their studies. And and I uh, began sharing this to our life group leaders. This week we're going to talk about sin, and I'm against it. (laughs) But I added another phrase. I'm against it, but particularly my sin. We're going to talk about this morning some things that that speak about some global issues and historical issues, but hopefully as we get down to it, we we look at this issue of sin and evil as something that comes back to us. You know, naturalistic evolution really has no answer for the the human dilemma. And, And often, as we think about people who are antagonistic toward God and particularly to God's word, they'll come after us, relate to our faith, as saying, if you believe that God is all good, that means he must hate that which is evil. And if you believe that God is all powerful, then you must believe that God is able to do something against that which is evil. And then they look around us and they say, well, look at, I see evil everywhere. How can you believe in an all good God when he hasn't done anything about it? And so as they think about that, they think, well, how can you believe if if that is our experience? But whenever people ask you questions, often one of the best ways to do is ask them a question back. 
you are talking about our faith, our, our belief in an all-good and all-powerful God and saying that can't be because of evil being in this world. And you wonder, well, God must have allowed that to happen or created it for it to be in existence. Let me ask you, how do you explain evil in this world? If you come from a naturalistic evolutionary perspective, then you believe basically things came together all by chance. There is no divine order. There is no intelligent design. It it just happened. And and as you think about that, then you begin to say, well, how, how do things coexist in this world? It's all about the survival of the fittest. Well, if that be the case, then let me ask the question, why would it give there be any rational explanation from just a naturalist perspective to be a person who would who would condemn Hitler and applause maybe the good and give applause to the good Samaritan the survival of the fittest maybe Hitler was right maybe what we need to do is have the the more superior race dominate this planet and deal with all the weak and lowly and people who don't deserve to live who decides what is right or wrong, or, there is, is there, or whether there is a right or wrong? I, I was watching a show last night. It was, it, it's really interesting. There was a person who was in a, in a moral dilemma, and he was confronted on it. And he said, he, they asked him, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Don't you know that's wrong? He says, I don't believe there's anything right or wrong, only legal or illegal. As we think about it, and we're going to look at it in more detail after as far as the specifics uh, next week, but, but we're going to try to talk about the, this morning about the, about the reality of evil. How do we try to understand that from, from God's perspective in the record in Scripture? There is a problem in this world, and you can summarize it in one word, sin, a three-letter word or a four-letter word, evil, and in both those words, it's the middle letter in the word sin, and it's the third letter in the word evil, and it's the letter I. And the problem that's in this world today can be seen every day when you look in the mirror. For the Bible has declared very clearly, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible describes that our hearts are desperately wicked, and who can know it and understand it? Well, how are we to understand this dilemma? And let me, let me throw this out as well. We, uh, as a church, uh, have a church name, and it's Grace Hills Church. The reason Hills is in it, uh, Hill is on it, because we're kind of on a hill. And the reason we put grace, because there is probably no greater word in the Scripture that defines the opportunity for us to connect with God. We connect with God not based on how good we are because of how good God is. And God reaches down to us in our undeserved state and offers the invitation for us to know Him. And when we come into that relationship and experience that grace, we receive that which we don't deserve. And as we think about it, we can't earn it and we cannot... Um, explain it, uh, but as we experience it, then we want to give it. We, we, we want to love other people unconditionally and without anything in return. We need to be people who, who can look beyond people's sin and see how the Savior can touch them 
and change them. In many ways, we can't talk too much about grace. But we can if we don't talk enough about sin. Because we don't even have a backdrop, a background to understand grace unless we understand sin. The evil that is in this world, but the evil also that is in our heart. Well, this morning, look at your outline as we, we try to race through some, some truths about what the Bible says, about understanding what happened. And I want you to know this first. We're going to make three major points this morning, but a number of uh, sub-points as well. Uh, know that evil is now not just a possibility, but a reality. C.K. Chesterton said this, of, of all the doctrines in the Bible, and as you think about things that are taught in the Bible, once you become at a point where you believe them, then you don't really wrestle with the veracity of them or the truthfulness of them because you recognize if you believe in God and he recorded this for us and we have it and you just believe it and even you don't completely understand it. But G.K. Chesterton said this, of all the doctrines that are in the Bible, and we're talking about the Trinity and we could throw a lot of other theological terms out there that are somewhat... Uh, esoteric. But the one doctrine that is proven over and over and over again is the reality of sin. Uh, that there is evil in this world. It's not just a matter of some things being legal and some things being illegal. People do horatious things to others. There's the reality of people doing harm and wicked things. And it's not just a possibility. It's not just theoretical. There's evil in this world. But then it begs the question, well, where did that come from? If, if God created everything, then he would have to be the creator of evil. And yet the Bible says very plainly that God is not the author of evil. Isaiah, and we can see many, many passages describing who God is, but in, in, in Isaiah... Isaiah gets a picture of God, and, and as he sees God, it's, he is holy, 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 which speaks about he is, he is unlike us. He is pure, more uh, good than we can even imagine. And it's repeated three times for the emphasis that God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. So as we speak about the grace of God, we also need to speak about the holiness of God. But then the Bible very plainly in the book of James speaks this very clearly of him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. What is temptation? What, what is it that, that we say, well, you know, I, you know, I saw that chocolate brownie with all the icing on it, and I know I was on a diet, but it was right there, and, and I just had to have it. What is, what is temptation? I, I just couldn't help myself. Tempt, temptation is being enticed to do something you know that's not good for you. It, it's being enticed. It's being drawn into whatever behavior, whether, whether it's getting off your diet or something much, much worse than that, to do that which transgresses the holiness or the goodness of God. And as we think about God, God never puts himself in that position where he is trying to entice you to do that which is evil, to do that which breaks the heart of God. He never entices us to do evil. 
But then that backs up the question, well, then, well, how do we understand the reality of evil, not just the possibility of it, when God never entices people to do that, draws them into that experience? Well, we need to have an understanding or a definition of evil. Evil is not a something. It's not something that is created. In fact, actually, it is the lack of something. For instance, God cannot lie. He cannot sin because he is not lacking in anything. Hebrews chapter 6.18 says that God, for God is impossible to lie. Now, why do you lie? Why do I lie? I, I lie because I think somehow by stating that which is not true, it will be an advantage to me. I, I will be able to have people think about me differently. I might be able to get away from something. I might have more than I have now if I, if I misrepresent the truth, if I, if I tell a lie. Uh, there's something missing, and I feel that the only way to get that is to tell a what? A lie. Well, we need to understand that as, as, as God is living in this universe that he created, is that he's not lacking anything. He doesn't have to misrepresent the truth. He doesn't have to lie because there's nothing he can gain by telling a lie. And, and when we lie, we, we, we buy the lie that lying is, is advantageous for us. God never does that because he's not lacking in anything. In 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that kind of gives a, a bigger picture of who God is. God has no darkness because he's not lacking in what? Light. You know, you know darkness is, is not a substance. It's simply the experience of light not being present. And so as we think of any evil that's done in this world, it's not something that was created. It's something that is a deprivation of that which already is. For instance, whether it's in the physical world, darkness is the absence of light. Lying is the absence of honesty. Whenever we tell a lie, we are now breaking the experience of telling that which is true or being honest. What is rebellion? Rebellion is a lack of obedience. It's not a substance. It's simply knowing what you ought to do and simply choosing not to do it. Idolatry. Idolatry is a lack of true worship. We had a seminar on at the men's breakfast yesterday, and we talked about worship. And we all worship. We all place value on things around us. We all consider some things of value or worth. And idolatry is when we put that over God. And we value anything else on this planet more than Him. That's a false worship. A false worship is worshiping that which is not worthy of a true worship. How about anxiousness? Anybody had spent any time this week with worry or anxiety or uh, just troubleness of heart. Well, there's, the Bible actually talks about the, the solution to that. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you make that to be a life experience? That you could go the rest of your life in a, a no-worry zone? Would anybody like that? I mean, we all would. We, we, all, we all would want that part of our experience, not being filled with a, a, a sense of dread about that which might happen in our life. Well, anxiousness 
in many ways, I, I put it one way in the outline, but anxiousness is a lack of prayer, or even a broader perspective, is a lack of faith. It's believing that somehow anything that you can experience in life is not filtered by God. That, that God will not allow you to be, to be able to handle anything that comes your way. That, that God will somehow uh, take a vacation as it relates to your life. That, that He cannot be trusted. That He will deprive you of His presence and His power during any point in your life. So anxiety is a lack of faith or it's a lack of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, should guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the picture of that verse is there's a century going back and forth in front of your life. It's protecting you at all times when you recognize that God is always in control. And then pride. What is pride? Uh, pride is a lack of humility. It, it, it's being in that place where, where somehow you, you feel that, that somehow you've got to build yourself up by putting other people down. Uh, th- this is the heart, really, of all sin. You know, as we think about sin, really in its essence, sin, sin is, is that, that point in which we do not trust God's goodness and faithfulness and provision. That, that, that something out there is, is more than he can provide. And, or, and, and maybe sometimes we think that he uh, is not worthy to, to call the shots in your life. That, that sometimes it's better if, if you decide what you ought to do rather than he decides what you ought to do. One of the more sobering experiences I have in talking with some people when they're on that line of faith, they're right on that fence, and, and they're trying to decide whether they're going to embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior or, or go their own way. And, and sometimes it's the issue of, of wrestling. Is this really true? And I, I've shared with this with many of you before, but there have been to- many times where I've talked with people and I say, okay, let's say I was a lot smarter than I am, which wouldn't take a whole lot to be a lot smarter than I am. But let's say I was a lot smarter than I am and, and I could convince you beyond a, you know, a shadow of doubt that what is true about Jesus is actually true, that he is God become flesh, that, that he entered into this world so that we might know God fully and completely. And then we died on the cross for your sins. He died for you. All that which is wrong in your life, that evilness that is not only in your actions, but in your heart and your mind, and that you're in desperate need of forgiveness, and that he and he alone can forgive you of your sin. But for that to happen, you need to embrace him not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. Wouldn't you want to get all that God could offer through his Son as he, he's demonstrated his love and provision for you on the cross? But if I convince you, it, truly, it was true that Jesus is God become flesh and died on the cross for you, if I can convince you that was true, would you then embrace Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior? And so often I've gotten the answer, no. And I, Why wouldn't you? I mean, you're convinced it's true because I would not want God leading my life. And what is that saying? It's saying that I think I have a better way of living than he does. And, and that's, that's, that's the core of sin. And we're going to see that in the first sin. Not trusting God's goodness. 
and God's expression of truth. Know that evil is now not just a possibility, but a reality. God is not the author of evil. Evil is not something. It's the lack of something. Thirdly, evil was made a possibility because God created beings with moral choices. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis. We'll look at a few passages in there. In Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, we haven't really read about sin entering this world in Genesis chapter 3 yet. But, but God made a very simple, straightforward uh, commandment for Adam and then later Eve. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden uh, up to ten and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So where did sin originate? Sin originated in the possibility of sin, in the possibility of evil. And the reason it is in this universe, and the reason it was originally as a possibility, is because God created moral choices for people who could make moral choices. He could eliminate evil from all of our experience by not giving us the capacity to choose. But he gave Adam and Eve that capacity either to trust him or not trust him, to believe that he was good and is good or that he wasn't good. There was the possibility. Well, what went wrong? What happened? Point number four. Evil originated in a perfect angelic being from inward desires. In the order of creation... As we look at, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably at that point, not only did he create that which is in the physical realm, but he also created the angelic realm. And so we have a whole slew of beings out there that we cannot see unless they reveal themselves that are in the angelic world. And so they are coexisting during these days of creation. And as they are living with God in the angelic realm... We know there's a little bit of difference between the, the angels and man and woman as he creates them, at least by way of silence. We know that man and, and woman were created in the image of God. We don't know if that was a full def, definition of the angels, but they were created beings. They were created to, to be ministering servants. They were to be at God's uh, command to do whatever he asked them to do. But they did have capacity to make moral choices. And as we think about that first sin, we'll look at it in a moment. But look at, but I want to turn to James just for a moment. And this is the origin of, of, of sin, not only at the human level, but I believe also at the angelic level, is that when we make that moral choice, it's because inward desires want something else than God has for us. In, in James 1.13, it says that, no one, that God tempts no one. In James 14, verses Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says what happens when sin arises. But each one is tempted, enticed to do that which is evil, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But the emphasis there, each one is tempted, whether you're an angelic being or a human being, when we are drawn away by our own desires. And what happened in that sin with, with 
Satan or Lucifer is the same thing that happened with both Adam and Eve. Their inward desires wanted that which God had not already given them. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel. We'll look at a couple accounts of that. Ezekiel chapter 28. If you can find Isaiah, keep going. Isaiah chapter 28, beginning with verse 11. And here we have God speaking to the, the king of Tyre. And as we're thinking about that, what he does is he, he, he speaks a, a word of judgment to him, but he, he, he speaks behind the scene of the king of Tyre, who was an evil king, and he really speaks to the source of that evilness that is leading him down a path of uh, rebellion against God. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 20, I mean, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And, and so now he, he begins to, to speak to the king of Tyre, but it seems like he's speaking to someone behind the king of Tyre. Because as we look at our own self, we would not describe any of ourselves as full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And so he's speaking about an angelic being that was at the height in terms of God's beautiful creation. And just in case you want a word picture of this in terms of how even Jesus would describe sometimes the sin behind the sin. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 16, or the event in chapter 16, where, where Jesus asked the, the man on the street question, who do men say that I am? Which is a great question to ask people sometimes if you want to figure out a way to get into a spiritual conversation. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think Jesus is? I mean, that's pretty direct, but it's also pretty non-threatening in the sense that all I'm asking is your opinion. Just who do you think Jesus is? Okay, I'm just really interested. Who, who do you think Jesus is? Well, I think he's a great leader, a great teacher, whatever it might be. And well, they had a variety of answers, Okay. Uh, and sometimes, if the people are, if people are you're open, you're talking with, you can say, well, would you like to know what I think, who Jesus is? Okay? Well, anyway, he asked the question, they got a variety of different answers. People are saying this, and this, and this, and this. And then he said, well, who do you think I am? And, and Peter speaks up, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and you know, is Jesus' commentary on that? You know, flesh and blood didn't figure this out. The, God himself helped you to understand this truth. But that wasn't the end of the story. A little bit later, and I'm sure Peter got pretty pumped up about that because he said, based on this, I'm going to build the whole church upon what you said. I mean, he's just like, going, he's on, he said, man, I'm, I'm the top dog here. I'm the alpha dog up on Jesus' disciples. But it was a little bit later, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, Jesus starts talking about the other side of the story, and that's why we always need to give the good news as well as the bad news. The, the, the good news is you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The bad news is I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer greatly at the hands of men, and then I'm going to be killed, but in three days later I'll rise from the dead. Well, well Peter, who was, who was not shy about speaking his mind, said, that will far be it for me that will ever happen. I will prevent that. You know what Jesus said? Get behind me who? Satan. And this is what's happening in Ezekiel 28, and we probably won't have the time to look at Isaiah chapter 14. He's speaking behind the person they're talking about. And in it, we get a picture into what happened in the angelic being who went from the possibility of evil, the possibility of sin, 
to bringing sin into his experience. And then later on, we'll find out in Genesis chapter 3, he had a hand in helping that happen in, in, among mankind. And this was, this was the birth of it. His inward desires grabbed hold of him, and he wanted more than God had given him. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, verse 13. You were in Eden, and we're going to see that. And that's, again, it's a picture of why we believe this is speaking of Satan, because we don't think the king of Tyre was in Eden, but uh, Satan was in the, in the form of the serpent. You were in Eden, the guard of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship for your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Yet the angelic realm had everything to experience. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub. The word cherub is used for angels in, in the Old Testament. Who covers, I establish you. This is God speaking. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. And then this word, verse 15, till iniquity was found in you. He had Speaking of Satan, and the word for Satan means adversary. Lucifer means the shining one. He had everything going for him. Just like Adam and Eve had everything for them. And then iniquity was found. Not that it was created in there, but it was found. And what triggered it? Just like Jane speaks about, there was an inward desire. Desire to have more. To have something they believed that God was leaving out. They began to distrust the living God. And Lucifer, the shining one, Satan, the adversary, wanted to be like God. Let's, let's jump over to Isaiah. Isaiah 14. Begin at verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend it into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. See, at the heart of sin is when we want to be in control of our life and distrust that God is good and He has the best plan for our life. Basically, I'm I'm giving you some theology this morning, but let's just stop for a moment. Where does this touch down for us? We can follow the example of the evil one, the adversary, the shining one who looks good sometimes on the outside, when all of a sudden we begin to wrestle with, what do I want to do with my life? How do I want to live it? What is the world saying? What is God saying? How can I maybe compromise because at this moment, this is what I feel like doing. I want to go down this path. I know God wants me to go down the other path. At this point, we want to be God in our life. There isn't any particular sin that will keep you out of heaven, but there is the sin that you want to be God in your life that will keep you out of heaven. 
when you think that you want to call the shots, that you, you want to be the person who is the Lord of your life, the captain of your ship, when you, when you look at God and say, God, you know, do your thing and I'm going to do my thing, that's what Lucifer did. That essentially is what Adam and Eve did, and we're going to see that. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be the Lord. And there's only one Lord, and he will share his glory with no one. Know that evil is not just a possibility, it's reality. Evil originated in a perfect angelic being from inward desires. Fifthly, evil occurred in a perfect human being from inward desires. We'll see more detail as we go into Genesis chapter 3. And, and then recognize the evil for us only has one remedy. So many people look at the gospel of Jesus Christ as being so exclusive. And they say, that, how can you be so narrow? Believing there's only one way to connect with God. It has to be through Jesus. And as we think about life, we don't live life like that in any other dimension of life. When you go to the medicine cabinet, you don't just pick out any medicine. You don't even pick out any pill. When you go to the, the surgeon, you don't say, well, you, go ahead and hack me up wherever you want. It doesn't matter. We, we want the cure for our disease, not for some other disease. And there's only one way to deal with evil in this world. And we need to be against sin, and we need to be against sin in our own life first. Secondly, this morning, and we'll go through the next two points really quickly. No evil's possibility was allowed for the greater glory of God. And for me, this is where they struggle. So, okay, all right, so God's not the author of evil. Evil's not really a substance, so it wasn't created. It really came from the inward desires of first an angelic being and a human being. Uh, all right, I get that. I get that. But okay, but God's still big enough. Why, why did he allow it? I mean, or why hasn't he wiped it out already? Well, that second solution is really not one most of us really, really want. Uh, we're going to see this later on in Genesis where, where there was evil throughout the world, and evil was continually in man's heart. And God sent a, a flood of judgment to wipe out evil. The issue with God about evil is not if or can he deal with evil. It's simply an issue of when. But you still wonder, well, why, why, is he, why did he still... And he knew it was going to happen. It didn't surprise him that Lucifer and a third of the angels bolted out of heaven and rebelled against him. It was not surprising to him that Adam and Eve were to sin. We know that the Bible says that before the foundations of the world, which sounds like before creation, before we were only a figment in, in God's mind, God knew that, that the cross would come, that we would sin. Why do you allow that to happen? Well, we don't ever want to speak for God, but there are a few things we can't say, because everything in this world is for the greater glory of God. Whatever we do either reveals who he is, and we participate in that, or, or we demonstrate by a way of an action that's exactly the opposite of how God is. But God uses all that has happened in history and in the future to display more openly who he is. Let's look at a couple of passages. In Romans chapter 5, real quickly.
Paul writes this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. He's talking about sin here. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in case you don't pick that up, basically what it's saying here, as we see God respond to sin, then it speaks to us about God's grace. God's grace is put on display for His greater glory in the reality of allowing sin to invade this planet. He did not create it. He was not the author of it. But when it was chosen by moral agents, what God did is He took the mess and made it into something that was really good. Displaying who He is. When we sin, and this is how grace should be applied in our lives and in other people, we can manifest undeserved forgiveness and favor to people because we have been forgiven and given God's undeserved favor. And when we live like that, then we display who God is and it, and it manifests in our life trying to live like Him. Turning over just a couple chapters in, in Romans. In Romans chapter 11... A great passage about the glory of God. Beginning at verse, verse uh, 33. Uh, Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given Him? And it shall be repaid Him. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. It says, Who can understand the wisdom and knowledge of God? Well, we can to a certain degree because of what God has done in light of our sin. Think about it for a moment. For, Jesus, for God to be true to His Word, He said that when we sin, we would what? We would die. Now, He had to decide whether that was going to be a temporal death or an eternal death. Well, for God to be holy and just, He had in His great wisdom be true to His Word and true to His holiness and still be able to give us grace. And that's where God came up with a plan that he would die in our place. See, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, so often we just use that as a cliche. Well, what does that mean? You see, he died where we should have been. That should have been our death on the cross. We ought to pay the penalty for our sins. But Jesus and all his righteousness and all of God's justification, he died in our place to satisfy the holiness and wrath of God when the, the wrath of God was placed on Jesus for our sin. And what does that display? It displays His grace and it displays His great wisdom, being able to justify us and still be righteous. What's the point of application? And know that understanding the reality of evil should persuade us to walk in newness of life. Look at Romans chapter 6, which is the commentary of God's grace being displayed despite our sin. What shall we say then? Verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live in any longer in it? Or, or do you not know that many of us were, were baptized, placed into Christ Jesus, immersed in Him, were baptized into His death. We experienced death in Him. We died with Him. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and here's the point here, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We who have received the grace of God, 
should see that as the greatest motivation to run from sin, which dishonors the grace of God. That we want to walk not in the patterns of the old life, but to walk in patterns of the new life. And we don't want to to spread sin around at all. You know, as we were at the workday this, uh, this, this past Saturday, we were cleaning up all kinds of mess around the, the grounds. And, and we saw the results of the curse, as we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3, where, where, uh, where it used to be that whatever we did was going to be a source of joy in, in working or t- uh, being involved in God's responsibilities that he had given us. But w- after the curse, uh, there was going to be all kinds of experiences like weeds and, and work would become a four-letter word. It would be at the sweat of our brow and all kinds of stuff like that. And as we think about that, you can see that every time you're, you're, you're fixing something, it's broken. It's just like, man, man what, why is this happening all the time? Well, essentially, this, uh, this, after, after the workday was over, I, I came back and I was just doing a walk around. And, and you, ever, you ever see people with little bags like this? You know, they have little dogs. Sometimes they have them on leashes. Sometimes they don't. And they take these little things around and, you know, and they find it and they scoop it up and they put it in little bags. You ever wonder, what do they do with these little bags? Any of you ever think about that? I mean, got the bag in their hand, but what do they do with it? If they came in the car, do they put it in their car or whatever like that? Well, I, I know four or five, what four or five people do in this little bag. Because as I was walking around there, I saw them in all kinds of bushes, you know, around our facilities. Up, out front. They were just like bag after bag after bag after bag. I threw them all away, and then I came this morning, I saw one more bag. This is an example. There is evil in this world. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a greater analogy here is that, is that, you know, we can spread our mess around, can't we? You know, it's not just our mess, but it gets spread out. And, and as, as graphic as that is, you know, sometimes we as God's people spread mess around. And, and I believe when that happens, more often than it should, because we're not as serious about sin as God is serious about sin. We're, we're more concerned about our agenda than God's agenda. And, and and we look like we're cleaning it up. Man, this person looked, man, look at how good that person is. That little doggy did whatever it does and scooped it up. And then when Noah was looking, it threw it in the bushes, right? When no one else was looking. I don't know what's happening in your life. I know some things that happen in my life. It's, only, it's, it's easier to just kind of throw it in the bushes when no one's looking. Now, you might not have the pastor coming behind you picking up your mess, but... But God sees it. And it's going to affect people. And God wants us as his people to understand what happened and then be shining lights to say, I don't want to, I don't want to continue to participate in that which has happened. I want, I want evil to be a possibility in my life because it's real. But I want to do whatever I can to stay away from the reality of evil in my life. Because it, it destroys me and it dishonors him. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are not a people that ignore that which is truth in our world, true in our world. We are not a people who, who believe that, that we don't still struggle with sin or that which is evil. And Father, we are not a people who who want to be apathetic about what we can do in our lives to better honor you. 
Father, we want to be a people that, that as we understand where evil first started, that we want to go quickly and boldly to the only one who is the remedy. And then by full faith and conviction, live out your power to be people that honor you by not only what we believe, but how we live. Help us this week not to spread things around that dishonor you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.